When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Uh, hey, everyone. Today's uh, special for me uh, episode. I have an uh, actor I really admire. I've, uh, my guest is a Canadian actor, producer, director, writer, photographer, does everything. Uh, Christian Campbell. How you, how you doing, sir? Good. I'm good. It's uh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good got, to hear. No, I I really appreciate your time today. It's I'm pretty starstruck because, uh, like I was telling you, I'm really into this certain movie musical we're going to talk about today. Uh, but when I was researching uh your past like films, I saw yeah. that you did a movie called Trick in 1999 and i just wanted to ask you real quick about that that's interesting because it was a it i was reading about it i hadn't actually seen it i want to see it now it's a gay romantic comedy and i mean this this is stuff that's like pretty topical right now and you were doing it 25 years ago almost 25 years ago you know like how was how was that like did did um any anything conflict with you for that like your religious any sort of religious upbringing or your own beliefs like did you uh were you against any of it or did you embrace it oh i i embraced it i mean i i uh i was you know i'm a man of the theater i've been around like fourth generation actor in my family so you know we're very very progressive my 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 parents were both you know european catholics my dad's from glasgow my mom's from amsterdam so they were catholic when they were in their upbringing but by the time they got to the united states and once they had gotten into their 20s they had sort of moved away from the church and so that was what sort of a belief system that i was brought up in um so there was no sort of judgment going on about that for me uh not only that i was introduced to the theater world pretty early through my dad and to my mom and so uh that's just more sort of you know, it's 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 an open, beautiful place of people of all of all types. It's a very sort of theater's been well ahead of the curve in terms of society for for decades, mm-hmm. if not centuries. Um, you know, in terms of the theater community. So yeah, when when Trick came along for me, um, it was just it it didn't it wasn't for me. It was a good script. It's a great it's a great movie. It's one of the uh, proudest movies I've done. Actually, it had a lot of it had a real impact on people, which I like to do. I like to make films that have well i enjoy working on the films that have impact mm-hmm. and this one was very impactful in that it was just a a sweet love story about two young guys meeting in a new york nightclub trying to find a place to hook up but they're unable to find a place to hook up around the city like an apartment or whatever because one of them is you know he lives over in brooklyn or whatever and but by the end of the uh, as the sun's rising and they have not been able to find a place to hook up they find they're actually quite smitten and maybe even a little in love with each other and it's kind of like this fun beautiful romantic comedy that at that time was really important in 1998 99 it came out sundance um because so many films 
uh, examining uh, the gay the gay life uh, style, but also just what it was what it meant to be gay, often had to do with dying of AIDS, drugs, depression, all the things that the community was dealing with, mm-hmm. um, and continually because we were still grappling as a as a society as a civilization about accepting this in into 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 the fold, and mm-hmm. so these people felt like. You know, a lot of the movies were about being gay and suffering and being on the outside and being excluded. And for the first time, it was a movie about hope and just sweetness. And it felt like a, like a little 1950s love story, really. And that just caught on and it became a cult hit. It became quite quite a hit. Um, and still to this day, sadly, it's not around. You can't stream it anywhere unless you like download it in weird places. But they're working on it. They're right now. They're upscaling it because we, we shot it on Super 16, and uh, it's a beautiful movie. It was shot beautifully. Wonderful performances. Tori Spelling is just amazing in it, and she does a great comic turn in it, and uh, just so many good people in it. So uh, you will start to see that probably streaming this year again once they get it upscaled and 4K'd and all that stuff. That's great. No, it's yeah. It, yeah I, I saw that. I was like, wow, that's very like ahead of its time, you know, like because they're doing they're doing movies right now that, of course, you know, it's they're they're uh, a dime a dozen now. Those kinds of movies, but back then, uh, yeah, like you said, you know, the gay characters it was always depressing, or they are mm-hmm. they're there for comedic aspects in movies, you know, yeah. so. To have yep. a love story yeah. is pretty, uh, like, way ahead of its time. Like, and I was yeah. like, wow. Oh, yeah, just a love story. And they're healthy. They're healthy people in terms of mentally. They're not grappling with too much. And it, it was great. I mean, I look forward. I mean, you should watch the film. I'll, I'll come back and talk about it. It's Because uh, you're right. I'm, I'm really glad you brought it up because it is. It, I actually reached out to the producer and was like, dude. Why is Trick not streaming right now? Why can no one find <laughs> it anywhere? It's so topical. The younger generation have never heard of this, and this could be important to them. Like for them to find a film that speaks to them and just makes them feel okay and not like they, yeah, just all of that. So, uh, and he was like, I hear you. I hear you. We're working on it. We just need to like work out contract stuff and all this stuff. So, yeah. Like, and like I said, like that movie that just came out, the, I think it was called Bros where it was about, you know, two gay people who love each yeah. other, romantic comedy. And I was like, man, he, you know, you did this almost 25 years ago. That's amazing. Like, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's very ahead of its time. <laughs> <laughs> but it now uh, for the reason I do have you here, and I know you, you have like an illustrious, illustrious career, uh, hmm. but I wanted to really make it about uh, today, the movie musical, theater production reefer madness uh because i'm just obsessed with it like i swear i have the music on just a regular playlist i've seen it well over probably 40 times you know it's just it's a great yeah it's a great it's a great uh no it's a great musical uh in terms of like you know plot and then it has meaning to it and wanted to ask you here let's see you had started you you were there from the very beginning right you were jimmy harper from like day, day one. one right yeah uh, day one. and uh, that was in uh-huh yes that was in 1998 and mm-hmm. uh what had happened is that the writers um 
they were two college buddies uh, and they were writing together at that time. They're both, they're both like, uh, you know, good Hollywood writers now, clearly on strike right now. But, um, mm. and they uh, came up with this concept just on a drive down from, I think it was San Francisco down to LA. And uh, by the end of the drive, once they'd come up with like, has anyone ever done Reefer Madness as a, and by the end of the drive, they had written the first song, which I believe either is the opening number Reefer Madness or yeah. And, uh, and so that's what got kicked it off for them. And then by 1998, they had gotten together with Andy Fickman, the director, and they started doing casting and the writer, Dan Studney, or one of the writers, Dan Studney was second or was he third AD on my sister's show party of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, and he was like, yeah, I'm doing this musical and we need this all American boy. And my sister was like, you need to talk to my brother. And so that's when I <laughs> came on and you know, uh, just showed off my dimples and sang a few songs. And I was in, I was Jimmy Harper. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and, and what attracted you to the role? Like, um, you know, cause I, back then, I mean, now reefer marijuana is like, uh, everyone has their own strain and st- stuff, but back then it was very like I remember being when this came out, uh, at least the movie. I was in high school, and there was all the programs for dare and stuff against you know drugs and marijuana. Uh, what Nancy like a dra- ghost over everyone? Uh huh. <laughs> it, it 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 made me think like what attracted you to the role and did you have any like indifferences because of the marijuana? Like, were you pretty open-minded about uh, mar- marijuana back then? Or did you have any, like, did this conflict with you on your beliefs of a, uh... uh, no, it didn't. Again, my mom is from Amsterdam. Um, and so mm. that tells you all you need to know. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, for me, it was, it was not about that. I'm coming from Canada tends to be a more progressive place. I mean, yeah, we are still dealing with sort of the Nancy Reagan, don't just say no kind of leftover crap. Um, but what attracted to me most of the role was that it, that show is really not about marijuana. It's about propaganda. It's about mm-hmm. misinformation. It's about the agendas uh, of that, of usually financial interests that target disenfranchised or minority groups or small sort of on the, on the outset of society groups for their own kind of financial means target these people because it's expedient for them. That's what it was about. Mm-hmm. Um, like Reefer Madness is a show that's about all of the various Reefer Madnesses that continually occurred. It's almost like every decade has its own Reefer Madness. Commie Madness in the 1950s, right? 1960s, mm-hmm. probably still more Commie Madness, but then it was Hippie Madness, you know, and all the drugs and all those peaceniks and whatnot. And then in the 1980s, it was it was, you know, crack cocaine, which was wink, wink, really about black people, madness, right? Mm-hmm, so each mm-hmm. decade has its own form of madness. Currently, we're dealing with trans madness, right? So it's just, mm-hmm. it's constantly this this ploy, this this tactic that's used by usually people who have an agenda that they need to accomplish, but they use this, this small issue on a, on a disenfranchised group as a way of bumping up, raising money you know, taking care of financial interests, whatever that to me was what the the heart of this show was. And that's what got me into it. So, 
That's why that's why I'm still involved with the show. I'm producing it now. We're gonna. Uh, I mean, this is. I'm probably jumping ahead here, but we're looking to produce it as um, the 25th anniversary in Los Angeles next year. Oh wow! No, that that's great. I'm glad it's still uh, first here. Alive. First here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's still alive and kicking. No, because yeah. like I said, yeah. I'm. I, I've literally like there was a point where I'd watch it like once a day, and it's just. I don't know. It, it's good Tell music. Me. Tell me, what do you love about it? Why? It's just good. I, I like musicals. I do. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, I grew up like with uh, the cartoon musicals, like Brave Little Toaster, Little Mermaid. Those like mm-hmm. uh, the Broadway plays. And uh, this one is just got a good soundtrack. And then once I watched it and I started reading more about like I, I'll, I'll heard the commentary. And then there's a book. I don't know if you know, Reefer Madness uh, by Eric Sklosser. Uh, mm-hmm. where, yep. yeah, yep. he talks a lot about kind of what the movie is about, where, you know, they used, uh, it, it, it was more about the paper industry and, oh man, this guy didn't w- want to lose any money. So he created the propaganda and it's Wayne almost Randall like, uh, huh. Yep. And, and it was about like, kind of like what we're going through now where you see it on the news and it must be real. Whereas back then it was printed in, in the newspaper cause he had a paper company so it must be real. And uh, it was more about, oh, no, hemp is a better alternative to paper. It's cheaper. And here's William Randolph first, I believe, with the paper companies. And he just didn't want to lose uh, any of his money. So he uh, created this uh, film. And the Well, like all that propaganda. And then I believe the film as well, right? The old uh propaganda movie he had nothing to do with that that was a church group and with a little bit of government money that put that thing together that really awful piece of cinema that satire <laughs> 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 we have today yeah 50 minutes like you will never get back <laughs> <laughs> and and did you had had you watched that prior to uh researching the or no. going into the role no i mean we <laughs> We as soon as I got cast in it, then you know the the Andy Fickman and Dan and Kevin had done tomes of research on it, so they gave us all sort of a book of just like getting the background on it, much like the story you're talking about that was taught at a early earlier time in the process. And then of course we all watched the movie together, the original 1936, and uh, and then from there that kind of really helped us set the tone and the satire of what we were doing on stage. Yeah. No. Yeah. De- definitely. It's it's very real wacky. If no one's ever seen it, it's in the free domain. It's yep. yeah. It's ridiculous. It. Yeah. <laughs> and then you yeah. hit. Yeah. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. Like with, it's it's basically it in musical form. You know, like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I uh, and I remember. I don't know if this was. If you can correct me, because I was listening to the commentary on Reefer Madness. And, you know, during the run of the play up until around 2001, it was like real big. It was like really catching traction. Uh, it was uh, selling out, you know, uh, whatever uh, plays, uh, Reefer Madness. And then did 9-11 hit and kind of slow it down? Like, well, actually, here's what happened. Um, we opened in, like I said, we opened in 1998. Uh, we only thought we were going to be open for two months. You know, theater, no one goes to see theater in L.A. That's just generally like the rule of thumb. It's really hard to get Los Angelinos to get into their cars and go and see your show and park their cars and go and see a show. And, you know, culture, 
for Los Angeles, this is a different thing. Um, mm-hmm. So we didn't expect much in terms of beyond t- a two months run, but we really caught on. We 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 had something. We we had something people wanted to watch. It was funny. It had a political. It had a voice. It was saying something. And uh, we had a dynamite cast of people who all really believed in the show, and that really came across, I think, to the audience. It was only a hundred seat theater at the Hudson, at the Hudson on Santa Monica Boulevard, and, and Hudson. And uh, and we ran for two years, and we swept a lot of awards, um, and uh, we were kind of like the the runaway hit, and all of us really had a fun time. It, it was even a difficult run in that with a hundred seat theater, we I think we were charging. $25, maybe $20, $25. It's, it's, like the, mm. the, the, basically when we had full houses, we were still losing money. And so yeah. there was a lot of times when, when thing, when the producers were like, came to us, like, we're really in trouble guys. We just tear up our, our paychecks because we believed in the show and we wanted it to keep it going. Um, I even at one point got cast in a, in a pilot for a TV series that shot in France, just before we were about to open the show for the first time. And I took my advance on that pilot and paid it to the production to have them hold and continue rehearsing without me. So that by the time I get back, I could continue to be, you know, I wanted to hold my role in the show because I believed in it that, that much. Man. So, and then so we did a two, we did a two month run, a two year run, sorry. And then, you know, eyeballs were on us. New York came knocking and uh, the Needlanders, which are one of the bigger, um, uh, New York Broadway producing families uh, saw the show and saw what was happening and that we had a little bit of a, uh, a little piece of gold here. And they said, we're bringing in a New York, New York kid and we're going to do an off-Broadway production. So uh, that all happened. And a part of, part of the cast uh, went with the show. I was one of them. And uh, we went to uh, New York. Uh, we recast uh, Mary uh, by this young actress who had just barely gotten out of Tisch acting school named Kristen Bell. And she came <laughs> to the of, uh, of that we did in New York. Um, and uh, then, uh, you know, Kristen Bell, I, I was married at the time to one of the cast members. Uh, the one she played, Erin uh, Matthews, she played uh, Sally, the reefer slut. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a little apartment near the, uh, the Variety Arts Theater, which is where we were performing in uh, just below the 14th uh, street line in, uh, in New York. And because we were in rehearsals and Kristen was all the way up in Washington uh, 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 Park, she uh, stayed at our place that night because we were in deep in tech rehearsals. And uh, I went out for a jog the next morning and watched the second plane hit the, uh, you know, hit Tower 2 or Jeez. the tower uh, uh, uh-huh. while I was on my run and ran home. And Kristen and Aaron and I watched the towers fall in our apartment, you know, and that was three days before we opened Reefer Madness. So yeah. not a good time to open a show that is about questioning power and authority mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, you know, questioning what you're told to believe when the drums of war were quickly uh, starting to, to beat. Um, and so we didn't, we had a short run in New York and closed down much like many other shows did. And we were also bet- below the 14th street line and that was like cordoned off. So if you were a New Yorker, if you were below 14th street, you had to stay there. And if you were above 14th street, you had to stay there. So it also like chopped out a massive part of our audience. Oh, man. So, uh, it was a so that closed the show, and uh, we all just listened. We all were we're okay. We're like a show. It's fine. 
9-11, there are people who've lost. I knew people, I, I lost friends in, in, in the towers. So that was not really our thing. And then um, the writers went back to LA and um, quickly set to work to adapting the, the show into a, a stage play uh, for, I mean, sorry, a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we uh, all were gathered up for a, a reading of this screenplay, I think maybe in 2003 and uh then bob greenblatt who was recently just the new ceo you know head of showtime came and saw and walked out halfway through the reading and we got a call by the time the reading was ending and he's like showtime wants to produce this so hey that's great that's how it happened yeah 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 no i i was i remember hearing in the commentary like i said about 9 11 kind of slowing like you said, halting everything down. And that's, a, I mean, of course it was, you know, a tragedy, but then to slow the momentum down, cause obviously y'all were kind of firing on full cylinders there until, uh, that kind of slowed, stopped the whole world. You know, we paused and thought about everything. Yeah. Uh, no, I get that. And so finally around what 2000, I know the movie came out in 2005. I'm not sure when uh you all started the film adaption yeah we uh-huh. shot it in 2004 up in vancouver and uh of course you had uh you the main uh the lead jimmy you had Kristen bell who's uh a kind of a big deal now uh, she just a little <laughs> uh alan cumming who yep. like great uh, i've I, really? great voice great yep. everything do anything uh you had the guy who played the crypt keeper <laughs> i'm sure his name uh young kasir and he was Don in our kasir. original cast back in uh-huh. la all the way back yeah uh, and um your sister was in the movie uh mm-hmm. nev nev campbell yeah. i don't know if she was uh at her any height of popularity at this point i i don't know why i didn't uh oh i mean that. well she was i mean she's always been great you know, people mm-hmm. love my sister and and so her coming onto the project helped the project continue to go forward because the more names meant something right mm-hmm. i'm i don't mean as much really to the executives Kristen bell means something but to have nev campbell on it was like oh, oh okay we definitely should put some money into this movie <laughs> yeah. yeah and uh did you have to audition like for your own role did you was there like a chance that maybe there, you wouldn't have was. gotten it there exactly was. There was a chance. The you know the the grand poobahs of the of the heads above Bob Greenblatt were saying, "Oh, who is this Christian Campbell? No one knows him. We need to put like a name in there." So they had thrown out some names, and I was you know for a little while there thinking, "Holy crap! I'm not going to do the role I created. That would be." Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, but but my team and Andy and Dan and Kevin fought really hard for me and. Uh, rest is history yeah and did uh like you said your sister they attached her did you have to kind of like fight for your sister or they were like no we oh, need some no names. I, they had to fight more for me than they had to fight for my sister <laughs> <laughs> we're like i forget that christian guy but can we have nev <laughs> <laughs> i know uh because that character was originally like a man right so they kind of yeah. like gender swapped it mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. yeah no that that's interesting like seeing her there and you know, I, I don't, I've never, I, I hate to like say I've never seen the Scream movies because I'm not a horror buff. I yeah. know that's like what she's like really 
uh made know, a mark on yeah what yeah. that she's really loved for and like yeah. uh known for and yeah. she's like done critically well in them yeah. but uh seeing her here it's interesting because that's that's like what i mostly know her from and she's just doing like a dance number and and i just saw her actually in that new show twisted metal oh yeah uh, yeah she was like uh like a character that Oh, she seems nice, but she's like the evil boss type uh, person running a city, you know, like a mayor yeah. type character. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's interesting. I was like, oh shoot, that's it's Nev Campbell. Hey, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I, I know great. her from Reaper Madness. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, but I just I heard from her. She was like, oh yeah, I'm in this movie Twisted Metal. I was like, oh cool, I got to check it out. Yeah, I'm sure she's one of the best things in it. So. Oh no, she's great. She's yeah. one of those like, oh, where's where's this going with her? You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, no, it's great. Uh, and then I I have your two of my favorite songs from the, uh, at least the movie adaption, even the broad the because I've heard the Broadway renditions too, like on the soundtracks. Mm -hmm. uh, there's murder, uh, yeah. you know, the murder uh, song, and then uh, the orgy. Yeah. Uh, did. Did I read that right? That Paula Abdul helped uh, for the New York choreograph version. the orgy. Yeah, for the New York version, she was well. She was our choreographer for the show in New mm -hmm. York, the the, the short-lived show. Uh, but she, yeah, she was our choreographer. She came aboard once we were going to New York, and she she had loved the show when she saw it in L.A. And then she was sort of like, "Ooh, fancy Paula Abdul. Let's have her." <laughs> <laughs> and how was how was that working with her? Because I imagine you know you start in theater where you uh I, I i know you you sing like amazingly dancing was that like a part of it too were you trained in that as well uh, you know that line that i have i you know i got two left feet and they're on backwards um <laughs> that kind of is really me you know even when we were doing the show in in la and new york the writers were always like or the director was always talking to the choreographer like whatever you do just have him stand in the middle and have everyone dance around him just do that <laughs> <laughs> So. and and for the song the orgy in the film okay I, i'm gonna pretext this i'm i'm a straight man i'm not gay or anything i do watch yeah. wrestling uh <laughs> but you whenever they like strip you down to yeah. your boxers you're like shredded you, you have shredded. you have abs right and, and i'm like Dude, Christian has better abs than Jesus whenever he <laughs> takes off his robe later on. You know, Can I there's a quote for you from my website, better abs than Jesus. Well, yeah, because there's a point <laughs> like <laughs> that, when when you have the listen to Jesus Jimmy song, you know, they pull off Jesus's clothes uh -huh. and yeah. he, he looks all right. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah. For a depiction of Jesus, he looks good. But like when you're stripped down, you have abs of like like your fit was there a reason i you were I just that was, fit? i i was just first of all i've always been a i'm always been a runner all my life mm -hmm. since i was 16 i just took up running and never competitive just something i do on my own i'm not like a team sport guy so that was something i could do on my own and so there's that been that as my baseline in life but also when i was leading up to the movie and knew i had this role and knew that this was a great role and i just wanted to be feeling my best my best self i also worked out really hard because i just wanted to feel at optimal health 
and just optimal mind and all this. So I could just be on to be the best that I could possibly be. That's really what I came from. I mean, as I was, I just really worked out hard and took really good care of myself and stopped all drinking, stopped everything and just was like a lean and mean, I'm going to do this role machine, you know? That, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, Cause that's what you see. <laughs> yeah i'm like dang like you got your abs there and it kind of reminded me of like hugh jackman you know like the theater yeah. you it's so uh it's almost a workout in itself like live theater where you're singing you're dancing like it's a lot of work and well that that is something i mean the, the role of jimmy harper on stage i mean it just it goes that role is non-stop for the entire show which is I would come off of that show sweating and just drenched and felt like I'd done a, like a, you know, a, a sprint. And uh, what the blessing of it was is that shows went so quickly for me because there was no time to think. It was just like, I was in flow the entire time. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it, it does, you know, it's, it's a very physical role too, in terms of not just the, the physicality of Jimmy's kind of hyperactive drug addled self, sort of that, that, satire of the movie the 1936 movie which makes it look like they're more on meth and cocaine than you know uh -huh. marijuana that too is like an entire kind of body exercise itself you know doing that constantly so yeah so, uh, that was also really the reason why i wanted to be ready physically for the role and and yeah. told me that i was going to be basically in a g-string with a you know a marijuana <laughs> so you know yeah. I, was, I should probably work out for this <laughs> and and was there any like uh un uncomfortableness in that or were you kind of used to you you again go with the flow were you like no anything for the production Everything. i mean the thing is we i think how many days did it take us to shoot the orgy scene and it was you know all of us are pretty much like naked half naked whatever for it mm -hmm. and but it's comical this is humor it's it's kind of absurd so the first basically about maybe half hour we're all kind of standing around awkwardly on the set uh and then after that it was just we didn't even know it's just we may as well just you know, on a beach right you're just on a beach that's it <laughs> and i love the subtleties i always notice uh in the orgy scene and then in the jesus uh scene when the men pass by you you kind of give them this weird look like <laughs> yeah, about this. this is the 1930s why do boys look like boys <laughs> it's just so funny because i don't know if like you that was <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was written in the script, like how you have all these hot chicks and you're yeah. there like, yeah, yeah. And then a couple of dudes pass by dancing by you or they're they, they they're seem to kinda, be into it, too. And I'm like, yeah, Whoa. and you're like, uh, I don't know about this, you know. So, no, I, I loved yeah. it. It's just, but, yeah. yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, man, he was he was really shredded. And I don't know if you just you yeah. know felt that way or that was you. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Jesus musical number. Uh, again, I know, I don't know how, like we talked about, like how religious you were and stuff like yeah. that. Did you ever have any like objections to the number? It, it being like, so like, it, it, of course it's poking fun at like Jesus and this and that, like I, you could almost call it like, I don't know, sacrilegious. I, I don't know if that's too harsh on it, but did you, uh, mind that with like any sort of your religious did, was there any pushback on that? No, I mean, for me, not because, first of all, it doesn't make fun, fun of Jesus. It makes fun of what people have turned Jesus into, mm -hmm. right? Jesus mm -hmm. probably would disagree with about 90% of the stuff that's talked about Jesus today. 
he probably would have been like, guys, I told you, don't turn me into an idol. Number one, <laughs> I told you you'd do this. You did it. You're all wrong. I promise you. That's what he would say. So uh -huh. for me, you know, it's not, this doesn't send up Jesus. It sends up the institutions, the mythos, all of the, 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 to all of the various problems that he's been turned into by people for their own, whatever their agendas are, which is again, another form of reefer madness, right? Mm -hmm. This information, this version, molding and, and, you know, misinforming people. So it's, uh, so to me, it's, if anything, it's an ode, it's a love, it's a, a loving sort of like nod. You can send him up because you know what? It's Jesus and you can send it up and Jesus would have a sense of humor about it for sure. The people that don't have a sense of humor about it are the institutions that have created themselves around him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, you're right. And yeah. they, they, the people depict Jesus as this uh, beautiful man, like how he is. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, he was probably a tanned, pretty tanned dude. I don't know how you could be that white complected in the desert. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No. But, uh, but going back on that question, I mean, um, now, we didn't have any problems with it because it was to us, this, there were the bigger things we were talking about, but yes, when we went, when we would perform it, particularly it was obvious in New York, in LA, it was harder to extricate yourself from the audience because you had to literally walk across the stage to get to the exit. So I'm sure if there was anyone who was offended by that number, they basically were penned in and felt like they couldn't escape. Well, as in New York, when we had the show, we did, we would always be able to tell during the Jesus number, there might be like once a week, like a person or two or a couple would leave during that number. <laughs> a little pride in that. Yeah. <laughs> it, I know the movie uh, opened like my eyes to like the propaganda of, you know, marijuana and the ideas of, you know, William Randolph Hearst, his wow. paper company and all that. Um, let's see. Did, did uh, it, did you read the book uh, by Eric Schlosser that uh, Reefer Madness? I if I I read it a long time ago. I have to reread it actually because I'm deep into the research again. We're actually going to build a brand out of Reefer Madness now. So um, during COVID, we, we were supposed to actually open the show in New York, and then COVID hit. So it's funny every time Reefer Madness wants to open in New York, a major global disaster. <laughs> descends upon us so i can tell you for sure that we are never going to new york again <laughs> just, all. Just, just i'm doing it as a favor to you all so uh -huh. um but uh what was i what was i getting at there um anyway it's i i don't even know but what the no it, uh, it, and i would say now that we're in 2023 and it seems like uh everyone and their mom has a, a marijuana strain do you think the satire like would kind of still hold up as far as, you know, we have like Ur Urkel making his own marijuana, like uh purple yeah, Urkel. You and, still, uh, you still like it. Oh yeah. No, I love right? it. So I think it, it's, again, it's not about marijuana. If anything, I think audiences are even more primed to watch something like this now um, because we've now seen how integrated it's become. Now we see just how, what a, a travesty, what a, a disaster it was that 26 million people have been incarcerated for possessing marijuana in the past 70 years. Um, we all we all see that, and this show sends that up and shows that, you know, this happened 
it can happen again in a different way. So be wary and always be wary of the people that hold up the cross and wrap themselves in a flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of that uh, going around right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Without having to mention anything. Nope. Um, and where are you uh, planning to do the, the, your shows of reefer madness? I know you're saying you're producing it. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you're, are you still going to be a part of the show or you're just taking more of that backstage? Just a producer. Uh, just producer. This guy, 51 years old. I can't play Jibby Hopper as a 16 year old. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm sure you could. I saw you on uh, Instagram jogging. I think, yeah, uh, true. I'm still jogging while filming. While, I, uh, pushing. I still think my abs are better than Jesus's. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are, Ed. No, it's it's so great. Uh, do you think? Um, uh, how do you be? How do you, how do you feel now about like marijuana and the stigma that it's mostly gone? Like, I I don't know if I asked you like back then, were you a smoker or did you do you partake in it now or have you ever? Yeah, oh well, yeah, for sure. I you know I had partaken it kind of rarely back then. I didn't really kind of discover drugs until I was 30 years old. I was a late bloomer, shall we say? <laughs> um, but I had like smoked a little bit here and there. Uh, but generally it didn't really take to it too much. Um, but so, but I never turned it away and never judged anyone for it. I judged people when I was younger, when I was 16, 17, the Nancy Reagan anti-drug stuff really even permeated North of the border. I mean, uh, her message went across the globe. It really, fuck things up for countries all around the world right mm-hmm. um prohibition and and uh, everything so um so it, i had a sort of a, uh, had a i don't know about that for me for a little while and then no judgment about it but it just wasn't my thing and then later mm-hmm. in life i learned to sort of like integrate it more into into sort of using it as a, a nice sort of modifier for anxiety or I'll use it sometimes for if I need to do a little modifier for creativity or stuff like that. So I, I like using it as like a nootropic, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so that's been my usage. For, for me, you know, again, going back, like the biggest tragedy, of course, was 26 million lives. Many of them, majority of them really damaged, ruined by this stupidity. Um, but another big thing that I feel very passionate about is that the hemp plant as an industrial plant is a remarkable like crop, but, and I'm not, this is, I'm not one of these people who's being hyperbolic about something. It's, it's probably one of the crops that might contribute to helping save ourselves in climate change and whatnot. The plastics that can be derived, hemp plastic has a six times stronger tensile strength than regular, regular petrochemicals of plastics. We knew this going back then. Um, It's, you know, already the Department of Defense is using hemp plastics in their drones and in their airplanes because it's lighter and stronger. Uh, it's the strongest natural fiber in 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 nature. Um, it's got probably about twenty five thousand you know industrial uses that can, that it can be applied to. It's it's a carbon capture plant. So when you plant it, your and you utilize it then for hemp concrete or plastics, your carbon you're capturing carbon from the environment. It uh, in one acre of hemp basically can grow in 110 days will give you 
a multiple of tonnage of what would have to take 15 years on one acre of trees. And, and it takes no pesticides, it takes no fertilizers, and it sips water and it's heat resistant in a time when our, our planet is really ramping up. Heat oh, yeah. So this is a wonder crop that I like the, the destruction of lives is one thing, but it also contributed to the destruction of our environment. Because if we over the past 70 years have used the innovative wunderkind of this country in terms of innovation and capitalism combined and the, the scientists and the wonderful thinkers and the business people and the entrepreneurs to have scaled this plant for that 70 years and done what they did with petrochemicals, what might this planet look like? How different might it look? So for me, that's a big message I want to bring to bear right now to the pot, to, to people uh, going forward in terms of my messaging is just that I want to see over the next 10 years hemp in the United States as a national security issue, a 10 x in, in, in our industrial practices and in our packaging and our paper across our, our so that we know that as consumers we need to start making smarter choices about what products we buy and what they're made of because we don't have to depend on plastic anymore we don't we don't and if anyone yeah. is telling you that anymore it's only because they're trying to save a little money we need to hemp that we need to scale this thing up fast and fast we're in trouble i don't know how hot it is for you over there but it's hot <laughs> oh it's hot everywhere yeah hot and everywhere. You're absolutely right. Like this yeah. information has been here, like yeah. you said, since back then they knew about it. Uh, you know, the William Randolph Hearst and yeah. he, he was worried yeah. more about money than anything. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. so yeah, that's what really opened my eyes. Even, even reading that book, you, you get that as well as in the, uh, the reefer madness, you know, you get that whole, you, you see the little, uh, signs of his name everywhere. William Randolph first, the little quotes yep. that are told by him and people believed it because it was in the papers, you know, because it was Just, the government. And if it's yeah. the government and it's in the papers, well, that's the truth. Uh-huh. It just like, uh, nowadays, Hey, uh, it was tweeted out or, uh, you know, it was in, in the news. I saw it on the, on the news somewhere. I read an article. Well, yep. anyone can make an article. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, that's that's pretty much like all I had, uh, really, as far as, uh, you know, thank you so much for your time. I mean, I can ask you like a few more things like what were your favorite songs to sing? Like, are there uh, a, I, I'm sure they're all great. The ones you you're in. But are there any where you're like, man, I can't wait to like uh, get yeah, to this song. number or, or, you know, I always love the closing number. The truth. I love the mm -hmm. lyrics. Just go back and like read those lyrics they're great once the reefer has been destroyed we'll start on darwin and sigmund freud and sex depicted on celluloid and communists and queens when danger's near exploit their fear the end justify the means oh yeah it's just that's 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 the thesis of the show for me and it gave me chills anytime i sung that at the end of the show because it was just such a powerful message and especially during when we were going through 9-11, that was, those were, there were some powerful lyrics in there. And it's ringing true right now. Like, uh, the end will justify the means. That's, yep. it's scary whenever you think about it that, you know, or, or I don't know, you, you yes. know, you know, I know, you, uh, know you, you know, you watch this how many times? Yeah, I we know. <laughs> yeah, we get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you, 
like more uh like i'm sure you know the the stage play you probably have more of a connection to than the actual movie uh did you like the adaption of the film compared to the stage play like was there something you wish they added or uh subtracted or you know made any different i think we improved we improved from the stage show we added mary jane mary lane which wasn't ever in the stage show uh so that number won us an emmy as well as we got us an emmy award we won for best uh, original song in a, in, a, in a show that year and uh that's a beautiful great song uh, and one of the more sung songs in karaoke uh <laughs> and uh so that i thought was an improvement if anything when we do this 25th anniversary coming up next year uh we are going to be taking some of the stuff that we learned during the movie and adapting that folding that back into the show so what we're going to do on stage next year is going to be yet another iteration of reefer madness and what we hope to be an improvement by the way these are that's my daughter in the background and uh we've got four girls in this house it's a hurricane right now so oh geez my girls, one of my girls and yes <laughs> oh no i have i have two nieces and uh i'm i'm glad i i feel like the girls women are our future of yeah. course like you know you want a son to carry on the name but i think uh uh, women or uh, children are easier as far as uh, females. I don't know, yeah. you know, and oh, and then it, yeah, it's just a thing like you're more protective of them. Son, I I don't know why in my head, if having a son is like he's gonna usurp my throne, like like he's gonna. He's always, gonna uh -huh. Anytime I have someone come across, like you know, how many kids do you have? And anytime someone answers like two boys or three boys, I look to them and I go. Thank you for your service. <laughs> boys will be boys. That's boys all I can boys. say. Yeah, that's I think about you. myself, and it's like I wouldn't <laughs> want to raise myself. Uh, do you do you believe in uh, secondhand high? Secondhand high? I mean, I guess maybe I've experienced it in my life where I've been in a room and and there's been so much weed that you kind of feel a little more relaxed. You don't get super high from it, but you definitely feel it's almost like a microdosing kind of effect to it. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. No, I remember uh be cuz I I would never partake in it but I had friends that would always smoke and I remember uh being in a room and we just kept playing uh the chorus to um Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer like over yeah. and over and over again just the chorus. Uh-huh. Yeah. said we got to hold on to what we got. Doesn't matter. It, over, over again, and it was the funniest thing in the world to me. And I was like, okay, I think this is what being high must feel like. Cause I could not stop laughing. Or you got a contact high just from the energy of being around people too. Mm -hmm. That you high, right? So, yeah. And last question, just for me, uh, what's what's your go-to snack for the munchies whenever you get the munchies? Yeah. Oh, munchies. If I'm smoking, or just munchies in general. Uh, let's uh, say if you're smoking. Yes, thing is, I don't get munchies anymore when I smoke. I used to when I was younger, uh, but now I don't. I think it's also because I'm more sort of like modified with my smoking. Like I've, I've learned how to like control it and leave because mm -hmm. I don't like to get I don't like to get so high that I can't be creative. Like I like to be an effective person, and I if I can use it to make me a better worker or more organized and more creative, that's how I like to approach it. So I don't think I get to a place of being high. But I would say my high food is. 
basically that's my non high food too is pizza. I've been that since I was a kid. I mean, moment on the lips, forever on the hips. hips. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, that that's it, man. I, I appreciate your time so much. I hope nothing but the best for, uh, you know, these future productions coming up of reefer madness. I, you know, I can't wait to hear about them. Like, uh, uh, I'm I'm glad it's still being added onto and being kept alive. Yeah. Uh, even after so long, because I'm just like, you know, I and I, I love other musicals like Chicago, uh, you know the the Disney ones, but this one seems so cult, you know, favorite that I wish. It's one of those things where I'm like, why doesn't the world know more about this? Like this is yeah. so good, you know, and I, I, that's why I guess. Uh, I asked you on here so we could like, you know, ho- hopefully we could spread it more and tell the world about it because it deserves to me more uh, than it it gets, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. and But that not that part of the charm of a cult film is that it's kind of the inside thing that you know and other people don't know? I, I, the amount of time, the amount of times I've had people who have come up to me who are fans of Reefer Madness who'd say, oh, back in high school. Oh my God, we we had the CD or we had the DVD and we would pass it around, and we were just it was, it was what formed me. It's what made me love musical theater because it was theater that was funny. It was kind of sexy as a high schooler, had a Rocky Horror feel to it. Mm-hmm. But then it said something that was defiant, that mm-hmm. kind of was uh, saying something about like how we need to change the world, and so it spoke to those younger people and. And and they liked the fact that it wasn't known, so they had the inside information. Right? <laughs> so in that sense, it's kind of gone. It's it's been a it's been a slow cook. It, it, what we do know is that more and more productions every year get made of it at colleges, at community centers, because we see the receipts from Concord Theatricals, who represents the the, the musical. Um, that mm-hmm. we see, like it's consistent. People like this, you know, and we often get invitations to come out and see it and all that. So it's I, I think. I hear knock on wood and maybe you and I will talk more and you should come out to LA next year when I, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'll, I'll get your, get your contact info and you should, you should come out and see the show. If, no. Uh, yeah, de- definitely. Yeah. No, I'd love that. And, uh, yeah, I, I'd have to, I'm going to look for that trick movie and we could definitely talk about it. Cause that's yeah. a whole nother. That's a a whole whole, yeah. It's a whole nother episode where it's just like, wow, I didn't know he did this. That's like, 20 like i said over 20 years ahead of the time ahead of the curve yeah it's, yeah 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 i'd have some yeah i've got some thoughts about it too that it'd be interesting to kind of share with you because as i'm as sort of like i feel like the old guy you know like oh yeah i've been there i've done the game movies you know they're <laughs> all like you're just reinventing this gay stuff no i thought that's right and so it's, it's been interesting watching the newest generation again you know going through the the fight right for rights and everything like that and Mm -hmm. uh and then coming from my perspective of having been there but it's the same but it's different today yeah yeah definitely yeah well no i want to thank you so much for your time uh i wish you nothing but the best you and your you know entire family and uh yeah i hope uh no it sounds great about uh la and then i hope to uh talk to you more about um you know whatever other projects you might have or even that uh trick movie once i do see it you know we'll, yeah. we'll definitely uh, have to connect and talk about that too but yeah no thank you so much for being here today 
Okay, fantastic. Great. All right. It was really, uh, thanks for reaching out. And it was uh, really lovely to talk to you about this. No, it was great. Uh, and uh, thank everyone for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Take